This is Within and Between, a podcast about the methods and meta-science behind developmental science. Hi, it's Jessica Logan. And it's Sarah Hart. And welcome back to another episode. Hello. Today on Within In Between, we decided um, we're going to address something that comes up, I would say, like, almost all the time in in the field (laughs) of uh, developmental science. And that is, how do you develop a research question? Yeah, I guess it's kind of funny that, you know, in undergrad or like high school, I guess, now when we talk about the scientific process, you know, it's just like a step along the way of the scientific process. What's the big deal? Uh, Yeah, I would actually say maybe number one, they say problem. (laughs) (laughs) Step one, what's the problem? Or when you get bigger, what's what's the research question? Mm -hmm. Problem, then hypothesis. And you're right. I don't think we do any training of it. Up until probably graduate school, right? A li- a maybe a little bit if like undergrad stats classes where you're like setting up, you know, your null hypothesis or, you know, and mm-hmm. so you have a research question, but it's kind of given to you a little bit um, versus, mm-hmm. you know, you might do an honors thesis, maybe that somebody would support you or independent project that somebody would support you. But like really kind of doing it is... It's really hard. I think it's actually, it, it, I mean, it's so central to everything that you do. Every, you know, the literature review you do depends on the problem or research question you want to ask. The analysis that you do depends on it. The phrasing of the research question depends on the scope of the problem. So there's just so much around it. And I, I feel like we get this question on a lot. I get this question a lot. So how do I know? How do I know that I've got a good research question? Yeah. Or even you always talk about being a methodologist, right? And one of your first oh. things <laughs> you do when you're doing a consulting, oh. you know, session with somebody, <laughs> you're like, but what's your research question? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How do we get that like huge global concept of is this good for kids and like operationalize it so that you can actually test it? So maybe... I know it's it's sort it's of the hard. fundamental. Yeah. <laughs> if it was easy, you wouldn't need graduate school. Yeah. <laughs> that may end up being actually the whole tagline of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then let's think about first maybe let's define what a research question is because I think that that um one of the things that's true about any scientific field is that you have a like a, a research grant that's addressing one big global problem, and it may have mm-hmm. sort of a general goal. And then you can have research papers, and research papers are also like about a topic and have a goal. And then within that paper, you also have research questions. So I feel like that's a big that that's sort of our our sort of funnel is the sort of topic can funnel down to a to a sort of general problem, which can general full, funnel down to a specific research question. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like I've made up that fake taxonomy, or would you agree? Hi. I have actually not <laughs> thought of it before, but I think I agree. 
I would even take it bigger than a grant, you know, for people who don't go for grants. It's like, what, what does your lab yeah. do? Or what, you know, like, what is your research yeah. area? Or what, what, you know, world peace problem are you trying to solve? You know, you're like career yeah. goal. And then you're like more near term career goal. Like this is something I'd like to work on for the next five, 10 years. You know, that's going to be a series of studies. And then, yeah, I can mm-hmm. see that. And those are probably more, more general, more undefined than the like research question but even you said let's define a research question I'm like I don't know if I could define a research question yeah. <laughs> I was just like do I need to go back to graduate school <laughs> How? that's true I probably should have looked up like an official definition of yeah. a research question it probably to- is something like an inquiry question about a topic of research <laughs> Okay, so we're that was eloquent. Like substitute in here, like a very nice definition of a research question that we are not giving you. <laughs> uh, but I guess, like for most people, right, it is then linked to the hypotheses, which are supposed to be linked mm-hmm. to the statistical test that you're you're you are doing, right? Yeah. So how, and your hypothesis then being, you know, an us with you know inferential statistic land, then you know. Mm-hmm how what you anticipate is happening with your p, going to happen with your p value like your hypothesis of your p value situation so then the research right. question no, the null yeah. versus mm-hmm. alternative hypothesis yeah so it all really builds from this idea of i think that the research question is maybe the pivotal spot it's a, it's so central to it's like the the way you're operationalizing the big topic that you study in this particular situation yeah. Mm-hmm. So when do you think is the first time that we that we have people come up with a research question when we're training them? Probably in my program, in a psychology program, probably when the student goes into research methods, whatever their research methods class that they might take in uh-huh. undergrad. Um, there's typically some sort of research project that they do within that class. Whether like for us, it's like a group pro- a group poster. And maybe, you know, everybody's research questions, all the different groups come together and there's like a small data collection. You know, everybody in class fills out a Qualtrics survey of each other's questions and then that's the data that they get to use or something like that. Um, so, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So pro- potentially there in a psychology program, a, either uh-huh. a research methods or like a methods, general methods class or maybe a stats class. Yeah. How oh, about for you? Well, I'm I don't know cuz I'm new to this program and I don't know what undergraduate training looks like. Mm. At this But you're point more used to, to it. Know. Yeah, at, at grad school, right? Yeah, at the grad school level, I feel like we're 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 asking people about the big topics they study a lot. Mhm. Like a lot a lot. I feel like in like pro seminar type of classes or even other types of classes, I know other professors I've heard about that sort of encourage you to work on your overall mission statement, you know, hmm. thinking about what is it, what is it that, that you're really interested in contributing to the world? Where, where is it that you work, you want to work? Where's the area you want to work in? Um, so maybe we do a little bit better job of teaching people how to come up with area they want to work in and how to articulate that. Mm-hmm. And that research question comes even a little bit later. Yeah, I guess it would think- probably be the first time you go to write your, your, your paper, a paper. Yeah, your first paper. 
And no wonder people are like, how do I do this? It's brand new. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then related to that, right, is, um, you know, not only just like how do you phrase a research question, which is in itself, you know, a thing, but also like, is this this an appropriate paper-sized research question? Oh, God. Oh, my gosh. This is – oh, so that's – yes. I mean, the number of times – okay – the number of times that I work with students, I think it's just sort of universal because we don't have we don't we don't have any sort of systems in place or mechanisms to sort of help students know how to narrow mm-hmm. a research topic. I feel like almost always the initial meetings I have with students about what kinds of research questions they want to ask, they're so broad. They are always so broad or or first draft of dissertation type questions, for example, they're often things like, I don't know. Is um, uh, oh my god! I can't even come up with a silly example research question. Is lots of sound bad for kids? That's terrible. <laughs> is the environment? Does the environment influence children? Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, well, that's not. That's way too big. Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time trying to trim down and 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 uh, siphon people into a more specific area. I mean, I think it's universal. Do you feel like it's the same? Do you do you feel like you're spent you spend a lot of time with students telling them that's way too big, chop it in half, chop it in half again? Yeah, more well, yes. I don't say those exact words, but the same idea. More just mm-hmm. uh, that typically presents in my office of like I don't know how to what what is the actual topic uh Uh, like i don't have a big one but like how do i do this you know uh i'm generally interested in these constructs like what what's the next step and in my Uh life you know we do so much secondary data analysis so like there's a lot it's a huge learning curve to figure out how to form a research question using secondary data analysis oh my gosh yes out of you know, how is the, you know, the environment associated with kids' outcomes, but also, well, if we narrow that, can we test that within the data? Like, how do we narrow it to test, to be able to have the data to test it? Because the data is already collected. Oh, yeah. Because the data is already collected. And how much time can you spend really looking in the data to make sure you know what's there? Meaning, like, looking at the code books and looking at the variable names and sort of understanding what's there to really get your brain around how you align a question with a secondary data analysis. Mm-hmm. So when in those cases, are you saying, hey, I have a data set that's roughly about kids' environments, go come up with a research question? Or is it more like I have a research question and then you look around for secondary data that would match the question? We've done both, but more typically mm-hmm. we have the data, uh, you know, here's a type of constructs that are available. Think of a research question. Um, I usually give them, yeah, code books and a descriptor of the data set and like, here, here Mm -hmm. you go. Come up with a research question. (laughs) 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 No problem. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let me, so I'll tell you how we, how I've tried to get students around these concepts in my classes. Mm -hmm. So in my stats classes that, um, that I've taught in the past, where we're working with sort of general inferential statistics, like group differences, like t-test kinds of things, and then correlations and simple regressions um, and moderation effects and mediation effects. So we do a couple of things. 
the first one is that um, I have students look for papers in their field, their specific area of interest, and then look at what methods they use and then pull the research questions from those methods and compile them into like a compendium so that you're able to go back and address it when you're sort of thinking about what does a research question look like and like how how do i think about these research questions and what do they what what analyses do they go with so we do that mhm cuz i i don't know i come at that from this concept of like from a language development mm, okay. concept. Well, because really what we're trying to do is help people learn definition, the definition of a research question, sort of, like what a re- learn to recognize a research question. And you do that through multiple exposures to multiple different research questions. Mm-hmm. So the way I explain it to students in the class is like, you know how when a, a a kid is very little and they're learning new words and they say you have a dog in your house and then every furry animal with four legs is a dog. That overgeneralization that they do or mm-hmm. they look around and go, there's a cat and they go, dog. But the more that they get exposed to multiple different kinds of animals, they start to learn not just what the prototypical animal looks like, but then sort of differences between all the animals. And so that, I think, that's my approach to research questions, is just expose you to as many as possible so that you're able to then see a little bit better what they are. Now, I have done that in the concept of learning the difference between what's a t-test and what's a regression question. Like, what's a, that's a, that's a bad example. What's a t-test question? What's a correlation question? Mm-hmm. Those kinds of questions look different. Mm-hmm. So in terms of understanding, in one you would say, is group A different than group B? And in another one you would say, is thing A correlated with thing B? So I've done it from that perspective, but I haven't thought about doing it in the sense of like grain size, if you will. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? Like how big is big enough (laughs) to be a research (laughs) question? (laughs) How small... How small of a thing does it have to be to be a research question? Yeah, to be, and I guess probably in this context, we're talking about like a publishable research question, like what's a publishable mm. unit or a dissertation unit or yeah. that's what you mean, like depending on what the outcome is. Right. Depending on what the outcome is. The pa- How, the, the the product, the scientific product, product. outcome, <laughs> not the kids' or, outcomes. What's the word I hear people using now? I hear people using um, artifact. Have you heard Artif- that one? No. Yeah, this is the thing that they're saying now is an artifact. Like you have to provide evidence that you have done a thing, and that's they call that an artifact. Oh, look at the kids. I, anyway, I think that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really cool, and I like it because it lets you sort of expand out what it means to do to do work. Like what's an, what's an artifact that demonstrates that you did a thing? Mm-hmm. You sort of name it. Anyway, I where where did I come from to get to artifacts? I don't even remember. Well, you're talking about how what I liked about um, when you talked about, well, I liked every, I, I always love everything that you talk about, Jess. But <laughs> oh <laughs> one thing gosh, I want to come back to this is, so is um, <laughs> the idea of um, 
that often our research questions are based on, you know, the statistical analysis, right? They're linked, right? That's what we talked about. Research questions go to hypotheses, go to, mm. you know, your the method, the analysis that you're going to do. And so what makes these research questions, like on the surface, even the how you said, like, is A bigger than B or, you know, or is A, you know, correlated with B? Like, that sounds so simple. Yeah. Like, oh, like, why are research questions are not hard? Listen to how that easy that is. But (laughs) where it just gets so much more complicated is, you know, when we layer in things like first, yes, grain size, you know, like is, is, you know, is A correlated with B? Is that a research question that you can get, you can get published in the field? Or does it have to be something more? Or that's that is a research a publishable research question in the field, and so that's one area you got to think about with your research question. Another one is you know do does the data that you're potentially going to have lend itself like if it's secondary data analysis, do, can can you ask that research question in the data that you have? And this comes up quite a bit in in my area where my students. Um, Often when they're first starting uh, and wanting to do a behavioral genetics research question, they, you know, Uh have learned about things like mediation and moderation, all these really interesting kind of regression based, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, analysis. And they're like, I want to do this. You know, I think this this, you know, this variable mediates the relation between these two variables. I'm like, that's okay, But. There is no equivalent model in a behavioral genetics framework. So when we're look, using oh. twins, you know, the statistical analysis we could potentially do with twins doesn't have the same model. Mediation, no matter how you define mediation, you know, you know Baron and Kenny or whatever, none of those models exist when you're looking at twins. And so, um, you know, that then I'm like, that's a great research question, but we can't actually apply that within the twin question, the, the twin realm. So like. If you want to do the twin piece and understand the genetic and environmental influences, we can't do that then also in the context of a mediation research question the same way. Uh, you can't? I mean, not the same way. No. But now I'm like, do no, we need to develop a mediation model for twins? <laughs> I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, <laughs> that's for another time. That's I for don't... another time. Sorry. That is for okay. another time. I'm like, what does it mean to compare what would it mean? within twin correlations? Anyway, um, so, you know, so that so there's that like does can you does the research question that you do form if you do form a nice correlational research question or T to, mm-hmm. you know, mean differences, you know, research question. Can you, you know, do it in the data you have or that you, you want to collect as well? Uh, and and then, you know, uh, do you have then the research question like so that, you know, these are different problems, you know, do we talked about grain size, you know, does the research question match the data that you have? And then, you know, coming up with a research question that then can apply to a statistical procedure that you can do Mm. or is available to you or that you have the sample size for or the measures Mm. are, you know, are measured in the right way. Um, And, you know, there's so like, like, there's like these layers of asking these research questions are not as simple as kind of when you're in like undergrad research methods classes yeah. And they're like, here's how you write a t-test research question. You know, is this group different from the this same? Group. Yeah, or different than this group? You know, and it's not not quite as simple as that. And so, yeah, I think that's where you spend all those years as a graduate student trying to figure that out. Yeah, that's really well said. And I think that 
that you're right. And in your stats classes, you're handed a scenario. We're mm-hmm. always handed a scenario where you say, let's imagine we have kids who have received a math intervention and you want to know if the math intervention helped kids learn math. Here we go. Now let's compare the kids who got math intervention to the kids who did not get math intervention. That seems very straightforward. And if you have spent years developing a math intervention that you think will be effective for reasons, then it's a totally valid, interesting, and applicable research question. Um, probably not a very good secondary research question. Mm-hmm. No. Because primary effects of an intervention have usually been tested if yeah. they exist. If those, if that exists in your data, somebody has probably already published on it before they shared it. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. Or, yeah, potentially it's already been done in your lab, if it's your lab's data or whatever. If it's your lab, yeah. Yeah. It's just been, it's it's been done. And it's not the kind of question that you'd want to go for in that particular scenario. Now, we keep talking about how this is something that we train and it's difficult for graduate students. But I would say I have met, I have actually, like, talked with faculty interviewing or early career faculty who say they still struggle with coming up with research questions. Mm. And I definitely kind of, it it is a common throughout your career to be like, is this the right publishable unit? You know, is this, you know, is this how I'm going to, you know, is this how the research question or questions these days often in a lot of papers, you know, are, is this enough or is this too much, you know, and like, I don't want to, you know, salami this paper uh, and mm. or, you know, this is going to be some sort of like opus, you know, like the Iliad <laughs> of, you know, <laughs> of, of, you know, research questions. Well, I think that's really important to I mean, to to sort of acknowledge is that it's really, really hard. And it's it is it is sort of generally a, a skill that you do hone, but it you can you keep asking and keep trying to figure it out as you keep going. So I hope that any any listeners who are struggling with this are sort of would would feel validated that that keeps on happening. Um, if like we we're all sort of struggling with that, particularly in newer areas. I think I think in areas that I know really really well, or areas that I'm uh, that I work in a lot, it's pretty easy for me to tell how big of a question it should be how, you know, how how many research questions there should be, whether there should be multiple experiments, that I sort of know based on the sort of norms of that particular area. But mm-hmm. if you're anywhere outside of that area at all, it can be really challenging to know where that should be. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes fields change. You're like, am I feeling the same thing about even my subfield? You know, like, does it feel like the ch- the field's changing a little bit? And when it's done, like, is my gut on this really recent paper? Is this is correct? Um, mm. you know, f- feeling feeling that out, and also you know, new statistics come around, and if you're interested in not using the same, you know, w- we tend to be people who don't use the same suite of statistics all the time in our own work, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and so like, oh, this new statistical procedure that then changes, you know, the 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 potential world of research questions that you might ask. It does. It's so cool. It's so cool. <laughs> I'm teaching a graduate developmental psych class, our like base seminar in developmental psych right now. And, you know, we just finished, you know, our first weeks or like our first content weeks worth of class. And, you know, it was all about um, how 
you know, your theoretical perspective can change, you know, even what research questions you ask and what data you'll ever collect and like how you even think about the world. And so, you know, that sometimes that, you know, your perspective and even how, how you've learned to ask research questions then sometimes dictates what your science even looks like. You know, so Mm. depending on what area you, you know, me coming from a behavioral genetics perspective, like it is incredibly difficult for me to think about group differences questions. I just don't. (laughs) We've talked about this before. I had a meeting recently, I think you were part of maybe, where I really struggled to understand a fairly basic group differences research question because I was like, what? (laughs) We're talking about means. Yeah. The mean. I the just really just like had to think really, really strongly about it. So. <laughs> Which is, that, you know, as opposed to you're, you think mostly in variance explained and sort of like path analytic frameworks. Yes. But variance yes. explained is is the foundation of regression. And, and so oftentimes I wish that my students had a little bit more grasp of that idea of we're not just talking about means. We're talking about variances, too. So I spend a lot of time <laughs> forcing people to think the other way. So that was particularly fun for me. But <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> it was a no. We're talking about means. Basic means question. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, long story short, you know, part of create or writing your research questions or thinking about or learning about how to come up with a research question too is also within. You know, what is like a, a norm within your theoretical perspective? Uh, yeah. And, you know, what are the types of research questions that are asked, you know, in your in from that 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 theoretical perspective, from the way you think about the world? And I think that maybe something that we can take away from that, that that our listeners can take away from that is is when oftentimes I think when you send people out to do a literature review. I have an extra, excellent fancy hand gesture for literature review. Send them out to do a literature review. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Just trust her. Um, that we we ask students to sort of look at what what has been cited, like what how they're developing the the question. But we also ask them maybe even more emphasis on what did they find and what's their conclusion. And so maybe consider when you're doing your literature review to really take a tight focus in on what the questions are. What are those research questions? Um, and so, because that I think can help you start to figure out what a, a publishable unit is or what a research question looks like in that area. Start start harnessing those as well. And I think you'll be surprised to see how often people don't do that. I was like, I was about to say that, Jess. I was like, how often can you actually find research questions in papers? It's because I'll say that it, you might struggle for some of mine. <laughs> <laughs> there's a problem, <laughs> you know. I'll take a problem. You want to look at, but as I was like, what are your thoughts? Like, there's a does a research question have to be an actual question? Should there be a question mark I don't think at the end of it? That's a good that's a good question. And it does have a question mark at the end. 
But uh, the difference between a, a research aim, I think you can have a research aim, you can have a research question, you can have, mm-hmm. I think that any of those is is a valid way to describe it. I think what sometimes happens is that people will end their introductory section moving into their research methods by saying things like, we're, and so in this paper, we're going to explore the relations that are here. I I can't even, I can't even do it. It's just so, it ends up being so vague that uh, it's, it's not, it's not quite clear enough. And I think that at least in the classes that I've taught in the past, those are also informative to students because it shows them how well, some good non-examples, some examples of what not mm-hmm. to do. So let me ask you a related question, which is, do you always write out hypotheses? No. That's a no. Yeah. I don't either. Yeah. I do. I do. I mean, I would say that probably pretty much all of my papers or all of them have actual research questions or aims or something. You're like, what drove this? Whether they're really like detailed, detailed and fully specified in a way that if you then followed with a directional hypothesis is like clear. That's just not really the that that is not typical in my field. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we, when you're talking, I guess it's also probably not typical generally when you're talking about variance explained, like, I know there's going to be variance yeah. explained, you know, what proportion is this or this, you know, you know, I don't really have a strong hypothesis about what way it's going to be. You can say generally, but like a, like real, like, this is the null hypothesis. This is the alternate hypothesis, like that framework <laughs> of hypotheses. No, 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 I don't use them either. Almost ever. There's one journal that I tried to publish in where they they made us add directional hypotheses, and it felt very foreign and strange to me. I I don't think there's one. I think different fields and different areas and different journals have different rules about what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But still, yeah, hypotheses are even more specific than research questions. <laughs> Within one research question, you could have multiple hypotheses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, easy. You could have a hypothesis that this much variance would be explained and that this particular predictor would be statistically significant and important, for example. So, yes. All right. I feel like we didn't maybe give secondary data analysis enough of a treatment because I, cause I think this happens also in statistics classes that I teach or in... Other classes is sort of the first time that we give students the ability to come to a secondary data analysis or secondary data that's been collected and really dive into a particular research question. Or maybe for me, it's usually I want you to test out this particular research method. Go find a data set in which you can do that. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's a really hard, it's really hard to do. Because you're trying to like, you're trying to like, you have a basic topic and then you have to find data that has variables that let you test that in the right age groups. And then you also have to slightly wiggle around the the analysis that you plan to do. And so it's it's a lot of moving chess pieces Mm -hmm. in order to really triangulate and get down to a good answerable research question with an existing data set. Yes, 
yeah, I've definitely worked with people who just in the end, they'll never, they don't, it's just a skill that they, they don't really come out with. That's just not a fair uh-huh. They would rather come up with a research question. They then plan a, a data collection around. Mm-hmm. Um, and control, you know, things like, you know, control it all so that it's perfectly, you know, set, you know, perfectly measured to be able to test that research question. But yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, uh, One way that sometimes I help students when they're learning it is to, you know, when it it often in my lab, it's the data that I have, right? I have these large secondary data sets. So I know why the data was collected to start with. And so yeah. I remind them that, you know, that the easiest way to come up with research questions are those that are, you know, that are a, a, at least have a, a glimpse of or a faint smell of the original <laughs> aims of why those data were collected. You know, it's much oh. harder to shoehorn in a secondary research question on a data set that was not collected to test anything like that research question. Mm. So, you know, if, you know, but if you if you can come up with a research question that is in the theme of or related to the original you know, aims of why that data was collected, then it is a little bit easier to get there. You'll find that the data is more likely to be there, more likely to be in the format you need it to be in to test your research question. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and that you'll have the sample size to test that. Uh, you know, um, for example, if you come into my data sets and you want to ask, you know, like a, specific subgroup about a a specific subgroup you know i have a student that's really Mm -hmm. interested in um ld you know learning disabilities and she wants Mm -hmm. you know like what what happens in you know these like learning disabled kids and none of the original data was collected you know focusing on recruiting ld kids because I do individual uh-huh. differences data collection. You know, I collect a full range of dis- the distribution. So they're there. They're there, you know, as either the lower end of the, the distribution of performance or they're there as, you know, having been um, uh, diagnosed or, you know, classified as having a learning disability. And we know that information, but there's just not enough of them. <laughs> to yeah. do, you know, group analysis because that the original project was not just to look at learning disabled students. And right. so, uh, you know, that's an example of where we had to then look for a different data set. I had nothing in the lab already that could answer any of her research questions related to this population. And so it would have been like next to impossible to come up with a research question and the data that existed. So then it was, OK, take this research question and go out and look for data collections that existed, you know, that could have potentially have that. And then you run into issues like, okay, so we found one, you know, that uh, Eccles data set, you know, oh, you know, ha- when you have tens of thousands yeah. of kids or whatever, you have a bigger sample size that has mm-hmm. these kids. And so we found them. Uh, but then the measurement of the other parts of the research question isn't really that great in that large data collection. So then it's conversations about how, you can, you know, create your research question when you know that the measurement of, say, like the outcome isn't that great or the, you know, mm-hmm. the correlate isn't that great. So, um, 
user kind of thought this is like the pivoting, like you're saying, when you're coming up with these research questions, we had the general idea. I'm interested in how this is related to this and this population, but how this is related to this, the this and this can change, you know, uh, your definition of it. And, you know, what data it's actually going to be done and you have to kind of pivot around and the ages you have mm. to pivot around. And... Oh, it's so true. And it's so it's so hard. to It's so hard to do. It's so hard to do. It's so hard to do. Really, no matter how much experience you have, it's hard to do. Mm -hmm. um, and even if you're really familiar with that secondary data set, maybe you've used the Eccles before, it can still be really challenging. That data set is particularly hard to use. Um, I'm, well, that's not fair. At any large, multi-wave, huge data set, that it's it just that one in particular, it changes, like what, what's mm -hmm. been given to students over the years changes. And so, um, and it's just very big. It's really hard to use. So it's hard to get your brain around everything that's there. You cannot maximize that sort of thing. You can't be like, let me see every single variable that they've given and figure out if any one of them is close to what I want to know about. It would take you a year. To add on another interesting layer that's been coming up in my lab, you know, we really try to use open science procedures in my lab. And it's really hard to do pre-registrations and even mm -hmm. harder to do registered reports in this context with secondary data analysis or generally when you – form – to come up with your research questions. And then also often the pre-registrations want hypotheses <laughs> to, do, yeah. to even form those hypotheses. We already had our discussion about hypotheses. Um, yes. But when you haven't looked at the data, you know, because you're not, we're not setting up the data collection to, to fully test that research question. Not We're not pre-registering that. We're pre-registering our analytical plan and this data set. But we can't look at this data set. And so mm -hmm. like how we don't even know the sample size for this subgroup. You know, you might know overall, but is this, a you know, what's the sample size for this amount of data for this construct? You know, there's missing data. What's the sample size there? And um, it just proves, I know that's a different, that's not research questions, but related to research questions, just forming the research question um, properly for the data that you have in the analytical procedure you're going to use um, is really difficult within an open science framework because previously, you know, like back in my day, you would go poking <laughs> around a little bit. <laughs> back in the old you know, days, you just chat yeah, back, see how yeah, many people are. Yeah, let's gather around, kids. But you know, he used to just <laughs> like open gather up around the data me while set. I preach some. Yeah, and just see, <laughs> well, you, see what works, you know, see what's there, <laughs> see is this a research question that's worthwhile to continue on with, you know, and yeah. Well, you said it's not related to the research question, but I think it is because if you, you know, I, it, an instance where you want to know if vocabulary is related to reading or something, but they only gave reading in 2004 and 2005 and they only gave vocabulary in 2006 and 2007 well you can't look at correlations if the same people didn't get those variables so knowing mm -hmm. if you even have the sample to ask the question of the data set is is a unique challenge um i think for secondary data within uh within that particular framework so sometimes you gotta sometimes you gotta look. Yeah, and then you just have to say, you know, you know the question is how yeah. how much do you know? 
I think that the the way that we've said it before in that instance is I would go in and in the pre-registration say, it's complicated. And the answer is, I looked at the ends of people that had it in each one and sort of the number of people who had both, uh, both of my two key measures to sort of see how much it is. But the actual analysis plan for this paper we haven't done yet. That would be the way that I would address it, I think. Yeah, that's how we've that's how we've settled in the lab is like you've got to look we've got to bust open the data. We now have to know the ends and usually demographics, you know, we do but not the yeah, the key the key variables. You just leave those ones alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's tough. Well that a very important related area. So like to summarize, yes, it's hard. <laughs> Did we solve it? <laughs> no. <laughs> I think the only actionable solution we gave is it gets better when you read more. <laughs> My students love it when I tell them that. And I'm always like, what should I be doing? I'm like, read more. Is there anything Keep else reading. I could be doing? Read more. <laughs> Keep reading. What if I don't want to read anymore? Not read more? <laughs> just the answer everybody loves. <laughs> Keep reading. Yeah. Keep reading, friends. Read a lot. That's the only way to learn more. Yeah, it's just experience and talking with others and, you know, talking Mm -hmm. with maybe, you know, a more knowledgeable other sometimes can help, whether that's your (laughs) mentor or more experienced other. Um, We are this week in my developmental theories class. One of the readings is all about Vygotsky. So I'm, you know, (laughs) (laughs) even how I'm talking about how this works. (laughs) You're thinking about zones of proximal development? Yes, yes. (laughs) I'm like, how can you scaffold these graduate students? Sounded a little bit Vygotskyan. But yes, that is how information oh, yes. is shared and how you build and construct this information is through your social world. Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> talking, yeah, talking with colleagues, talking with your advisor um, is all, you know, we all continue to do it. We do. And I think that that's really important, too, is that I just before this, before we started recording, we, we tend to sit on here and chat for a minute to make sure that our, in, our internet and our sound works. And I was asking you about the scope of a research question that we could put into a you paper. Were. And you did that's just literally what we that. were talking about. Is this publishable? Is it a white paper? Yeah. Where, you know, mm-hmm. should we do this meta science part to it? You know, yeah. So it just, I think we never stop doing it. What I think gets easier over time is the ability to trust that you have a handle on it. And the ability to trust that with input from key people, you feel pretty settled on what the scope should be. Mm-hmm. That's maybe the only thing that gets easier. Research questions are tough. And I think if they were easy, then you wouldn't need four years of graduate school or five or six. <laughs> Ish. <laughs> years. <laughs> um, yeah. Do we have anything else to say around research questions? I mean... The it's it really does end up being very specific to whatever area it is you're working in. So working with people who have knowledge in that particular area is just really the only way to keep getting better at it. All right, then. Keep reading. Keep reading. And next time you read a paper, try to highlight where the research question is. Add that to your reading. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Within and Between. For information about this and all our episodes, you can visit our website, withinandbetweenpod.com. Connect with us on Twitter at within underscore between, where you can send us questions about developmental science and developmental sciencing. See you next time.